upon a time there was a king with a kingdom that stretched into faraway lands. He was a good king who wanted the best for his people. Within the king's realm in one of the small towns there was a poor orphan boy who lived in the shadows of the town. He was a thief. He stole bread and milk and meat. His lonely life was defined by shame and hiding. The king knew of this boy, and one day the king entered the small town in search for the boy. He found him living beneath the steps of a, of a certain town building. The great king stooped down and crawled in the dirt to the boy. He kindly talked with him and showed the boy some legal documents. The king had adopted him and paid all of his thieving debts and had come to take the boy into the castle to live with the royal family. Well, when the boy found this out, his eyes danced with joy, with excitement as he walked hand in hand with the king to the great castle. Upon entering the castle and ascending to the balcony, the king showed the boy the expanse of his kingdom. And told him that all of the kingdom now belonged to him as well. He washed the little boy and dressed him in a stunning white robe adorned with sparkling and brilliant diamonds and jewels. The magnificent robe marked the boy as a son of the king. The king instructed the boy to play throughout the towns, wearing his robe proudly to play in the sunlight so his robe would radiate the light and color throughout the kingdom to remind the people of the goodness of the king and to remind the people that the boy belonged to the king as a son. As the king overlooked his realm, he would see flashes of light and color throughout the kingdom and know where his precious son was and know that his son was obediently shining the goodness of the king. Well, one day the king was walking on his balcony overlooking his kingdom and he saw no flashes of light or of color. What happened to my son? Very concerned, the king rode by horseback in search of his son, and once again he found him in the shadows beneath the steps where the sun could not refract from his robe. The king stooped down once again and climbed under the steps to the little boy and said, My son, my beloved son, what are you doing? Why have you returned to the shadows? For the shadows are not fitting for the king's son. I have given you a a beautiful robe which marks you as my son. And I sent you to wear it proudly to refract the sunlight so that you would provide my towns with dazzling beauty. Your robe tells the townspeople of my goodness and who you are. You will not shine in the shadows. Son, come out of the shadows into the light and shine for me. Saints, God the Father rescued you from the dark shadows of sin, the world, judgment, and death, and adopted you as his child. Your father has completely removed your blame, removed your blemishes, made you pure, 
and has given you a kingdom. He has dressed you in the beautiful robe of Christ's righteousness. And yet you live in a very, very dark world. But brothers and sisters, your father is working in you to shine as radiant lights in that dark world. You are actually luminaries through which Christ shines. How will the world see the light of Christ if you hide in the shadows? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he told his disciples, you are the light of the world. And this makes sense because as every disciple of Jesus shines their light, they are shining Christ at work in them. Brothers and sisters, we are illuminated by God in order to shine in the world. Here's my very simple point for this morning. Because you are children of God, because you are children of God, shine as lights in a corrupt and guilty world by living blameless, innocent, and unblemished lives as you hold fast to the word of life. Because you are children of God, shine as lights in a corrupt and guilty world by living blameless, innocent, and unblemished lives if you hold fast to the word of life. It is no surprise that we live in a crooked and twisted generation. Anybody doubt that? Looking around at the world that we live in. We live in a messed up world. And America is no exception. America is no shining light in one sense. You live in a society steeped in idolatry. And godlessness. And yet, you shine. You shine because you have been set apart by God to live a blameless, innocent, and unblemished life as a child of God clinging to the Word of God. You're different. You are different. When leaving my house, I referenced this the last time I preached, when leaving my house, my mom would tell me, remember whose you are, as a reminder that the choices that I make and how I live overflow from my identity in Christ. I am no longer a child of the darkness, praise God, I am a child of the light, I am a child of God, and so I must seek to live consistently with who God made me in Christ. And if you get that point, well, then as we approach Philippians 2, 14 through 18, it's going to make more sense to you. So let's dig in. Be a shining light by, number one, doing everything without grumbling or disputing. Verse 14 is not difficult to understand. I think everyone can read that the first time and say, got it. I know what that means. What circumstance is not included in all things? Okay, Paul left absolutely no room for any grumbling or any disputing in life. God thinks that grumbling and disputing are bad for us. And don't glorify him. In fact, God knows that these two things will attack our joy. And they'll kill true joy. So naturally and logically and benevolently, God outlaws them. Just puts a none, none. Because, and you have to know what's behind this, why God would even say that, because he wants the best for us. Okay, Paul said, do all things, all things 
without grumbling or disputing. So, my friends, it's a way of life. It's a part of how Christians work out their salvation. See, we were saved from enslavement to grumbling and disputing. And so now we must live out our freedom by avoiding grumbling and avoiding disputing. So what is grumbling? It's complaining. It's whining. It's expressing your annoyance or your protest of someone or something behind closed doors. You don't like what that person did, and so with with great irritation inside of you, you dwell on it, and you moan about it, and you want to drag others in with you, and so you go and you tell everybody else about what that person did, or what, and you just moan and complain. You don't really want to address the problem. You don't really want to go to the person and work it out as God calls you to do. You just want to sit around and complain about it. And so you do. There is no room for grumbling in the Christian's life. Every time we groan and moan and complain and whine, we sin against God. It's always sinful to grumble. What is disputing? I have to be careful to get this definition or you'll misunderstand. Disputing is having very negative thoughts, evil thoughts, antagonistic thoughts, even you could say doubtful thoughts that rise up from the heart and the mind in opposition to right thinking. Okay? Disputing begins with faulty reasoning and grows into argument or quarreling. Grumbling often morphs into disputing. There is no room for disputing in a Christian's life. None. It's always sinful to dispute. I'm not saying to defend the truth or to promote the truth. I'm not saying to argue apologetically for the truth. We're talking about disputing with malicious intent. Argumentative. The Philippian church was probably grumbling and disputing, maybe against the elders, maybe against the deacons, maybe against certain happenings or certain sufferings, whatever the cause, grumbling and disputing threatened the unity and joy and brightness of the church. Here's the rub. Complaining and quarreling come easy for you and me. Easy. We don't have to be trained in it. We just do it naturally. Yet as children of God, we know what God wants us to do. He wants us to obey, verse 14. But how can we do much of anything in life without grumbling and disputing? Trying hard, I'm really going to try at this, hardly seems sufficient for battling how it rages in us to complain and dispute. And at this point, we have to go back, is it two weeks, to my sermon the last time and bring in all that we learned from then and insert it right at this point. We must work hard at not grumbling or disputing. We must work hard at it because it is God who works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. You need what we just went through two weeks ago in order to get anywhere with this text. We must apply the gospel to everyday life. Verse 14 is what we do because we are children of God. 
living to please our Father in everything. It is the Spirit of God working in us, compelling us to do all things without grumbling or disputing. See, verse 14 is very, very helpful for us. It exposes our out-and-out need for God. We're desperate for Him. If you try to live out verse 14 on your own, you'll notice very quickly how inclined you are to grumble about everything and to dispute about everything. And even if you succeed in keeping your mouth shut, which for me, long-term struggle, you'll notice grumbling and disputing are alive in your heart and your mind before it ever gets to your lips. So we need to be reminded that we are not defined by pessimism and rivalry and negativity. We are defined by Christ. And therefore, he will help us to work this out in our lives because we are saved. Be a shining light by number two, becoming more and more who you already are in Christ. Now, this is a little tricky to understand. All right, so track with me here. Paul is borrowing language from Deuteronomy 32, verse 5, which talks about rebellious Israel no longer being God's children because they are blemished, crooked, and twisted. And here in verse 15, Paul isn't suggesting that the Philippians are are no longer God's children. He was not even suggesting that the Philippians needed to not grumble or dispute in order to gain the status of a child of God. Paul absolutely recognized that the Philippians were already adopted children of God. He affirms that through the letter. But he called them to become more and more and more what they already were in Christ. Blameworthy, tainted, and blemished lives were not fitting for the Philippians as children of God. Paul was calling them to become more and more who they already were in Christ. You see, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, God has made you his child. And therefore, you are positionally, that's a very important word, positionally blameless, innocent, and unblemished in Christ. That's your everlasting status as a child of God. That is your your position, your everlasting standing before God. But practically, in this life, you don't always live consistent with your current position and your current status as a child of God. You, You don't always live a blameless, innocent, and unblemished life as a child of God should. Sometimes you revert back to your old lifestyle of sin. Sometimes you crawl back into the shadows Your position in Christ is secure, secure in Christ, but your practice of your true identity is not yet perfectly consistent or complete. So Paul's encouragement is for you to bring your lifestyle into conformity with your true adopted identity as a child of God. So every time you grumble, every time you open your mouth up to dispute, you are not living consistently with who you really are in Christ. You're climbing back into the shadows. You're reverting back to who you were before your father dressed you in the robes of Christ's righteousness. Grumbling and disputing. Saints, they're not fitting for you. 
You look terrible in them. You look terrible in them. You look good, and it is fitting for you to wear the righteous robe of Christ. You look good in that. You look really good in that. The Christian life is a gradual progression of conformity to Christ and a movement into perfection which awaits you on the other side. Do you understand what I'm saying? Christ never grumbled. Christ never disputed. He is the perfect, blameless, innocent, and unblemished, begotten Son of God, and His image is what God is graciously conforming us to. Never forget that. Dr. G. Walter Hansen explained it like this, quote, Paul is not describing the way to become the children of God. He is urging the children of God to express the reality of who they are in the life and conversation of their Christian community. His command is under the overarching grace of God who alone can empower his adopted children to become who they are. The only way for children of God to become who they are is by the power of the Father, the God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose, end quote. I love Dr. Hansen's language. Become who they are. They were children of God. They just needed to become who they already were in Christ. It's beautiful what our Father's grace and love and mercy and power and spirit produce in us as children of God. I want you to listen very closely to Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5, because it's going to show you exactly what God's sovereign grace and salvation accomplish in you as a child of God. Listen closely. Even as He chose us, In him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. God chose in his free and holy will to adopt us as children so that we would be holy and blameless in Christ. Our adoption, our holiness, our blamelessness are the end to God's sovereign choice of us. That's who God has made us to be. So don't grumble, don't dispute. You were not saved and adopted for that kind of lifestyle. You were saved and you were adopted to shine, to shine. I love what the stepbrother of Jesus wrote. Jude said this, Now to him, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Now that works perfectly with Philippians 2. It is God in his sovereign power and grace who will keep us from stumbling. He is able to keep us from stumbling. It is God who will complete the work he has started in us so that we will be blameless before him in the end because Christ has already made us blameless before God now. We are blameless, yet we are becoming blameless. Do you understand what I'm trying to get at? 
Ephesians 5 verse 1 is an excellent little summary of verses 14 and 15, what it's all about. It says this, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. In other words, imitate the holiness of God precisely because he has made you his child. That's who you are. Be a shining light by number three, living differently from the corrupt and guilty world around you. Brothers and sisters, we do not shine as lights in the world when we live just like the world. If your life looks no different than the person who does not know Jesus Christ, you're not shining. If you blend in, you're probably not living for Christ. Blameless, innocent, and without blemish are contrasting terms to crooked and twisted generation. The children of God are distinct from the crooked and twisted generation, yet they're living smack dab right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of it. The Greek word for crooked, you'll recognize, scolios. That sound familiar? It's where we get the term scoliosis which is an often disabling curvature of the spine. To be scolios is to be morally warped. It's to be perverse. And the Greek word for twisted is diastrepho, which sounds like nothing. I don't know. Maybe it sounds like something. But which means perverted or something that has turned aside from what is good and morally right. Now, if you look around yourself at the world, you're going to notice that so much, the majority, the overwhelming majority of the world is not aligned with God's word. It's crooked. It's messed up. You can see it. I can see it. This is not rocket science. The world is crooked and twisted, and you're living in the middle of it. Let me ask you a few um, questions that I've planned out to get your mind going in a certain direction. Please listen closely. This is supposed to be logical. I hope it is. Do Hugh Hefner and Larry Flint and other porn moguls have an upright view of human dignity and sexuality? Do you find Genesis 1 and 2 reflected accurately in the transgender movement? Does it seem askew that a man is convicted of a double homicide for killing his pregnant girlfriend and her baby, and yet any pregnant woman can head into Planned Parenthood and with the doctor do the same thing without any legal ramifications. Does it seem warped that some people, follow this closely, reject God as the moral lawgiver, fully accept amoral Darwinism, and survival of the fittest, yet still consider Hitler evil for slaughtering millions of Jews. Now, I hope you're logically following with me. The moment you look at the world, you, it, don't even try to make sense of it. It makes no sense. They are so crooked and twisted, just like we were before Christ. We are no different, and yet we are so different. You following that? That's the gospel. We could keep going with this. We could mention thing after thing after thing of the you seeing. Right here in the community of Mannheim, there's tons of things that you look at and say, 
This just doesn't make sense. And soon enough, you realize how crooked and twisted the thinking and the lifestyle of the world really is. It's completely backwards. And they're content in it, of living an irrational life. It is entirely deviant from the straightness of biblical truth and rationality, even science. The world celebrates crookedness. The world celebrates twistedness. And here we are, the children of God, right in the middle of it, living differently. That's what the Philippians were facing as well. And Paul said, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That means the children of God are living right in the middle of a crooked and twisted generation, and they're shining brightly. They're shining light, the light of Christ. That word lights, it's a foster, which refers to luminaries, bodies that give light. It could even refer to stars. You're a star. All right, now, don't go too far with that, all right? But now what I want you to do is imagine being in uh, Pennsylvania, I think it's in Upper State, in Cherry Springs Park in Cowdersport, Pennsylvania. Anybody know where that is? Okay, and, and you're in the pitch black of a clear fall night, and you look up in the, in the nighttime dark blackness of the sky, and you see stars just filling the sky. I'm told that's the best place to look at the stars. And you're seeing these shining stars, and they're working together to illumine the darkness of the nighttime sky. The the children of God are like that. that. That's what they are when they do all things without grumbling or disputing, when they live blameless, innocent, and unblemished lives, smack in the middle of a culture and society steeped in corruption and guilt. We are like that. Now, didn't God tell Abraham, look toward the heaven, or toward heaven, and number the stars, if you are able to number them, so shall your offspring be. That is significant. The children of Abraham are the children of faith in Christ, as Paul makes clear in the New Testament, and therefore they are children of God who are like stars, a myriad of stars stretching across the blackness, and they're they're shining brightly, telling the world who they are, shining the glory of God for everyone to see. You are children of God in Christ. You are a bright, shining star that is, that is dazzling the world with the glory of God and how you live. You're emanating the light. You're emanating the heat of Christ because you were saved and adopted. If you want to shine as lights, as stars in a dark world, in a dark world, then you have to live differently. You have to be different because you are different. Holiness must be our aim for the purpose of shining the light and glory and beauty of God. Stars by nature are these Awesome burning balls of gas emanating light and heat in the darkness of the expanse of the sky. That's what a star is. And so the contrast is critical to the nature of a star. If there is no contrast, we ask the question, does the star exist? 
Our culture and society are so corrupt and disgraceful. People celebrate a distortion of God's best. But the children of God are right there as luminaries shining for Christ. Shining the glorious nature and being of God. They don't blend in. That's the point. That's how you can tell who the stars are. They're shining. They're shining. They don't blend in. And they never will blend in. There never will come a day where, where we as stars will just retreat into the darkness and just let the darkness take over. We shine because we are so distinctly different from the world. Be a shining light by, number four, holding fast to the word of life. The children of God who are shining are also holding fast to the word of life, it, grabbing hold and not letting go to the word of Christ. The word of life here refers to the gospel of Jesus Christ, or you could say scripture, because all of scripture points to Christ. All of scripture is about him, and it comes from him. The, the children of God hold fast to the word because it is for them ultimate life-giving authority and truth. Do you know what cuts down on grumbling in the church? Do you know what cuts down on disputing within the church? When God's people together hold fast to the word of God and they have one unified mind around the word of God. That's what cuts down on it. God's word promotes and preserves amazing unity. A surefire way to snuff out the shining light of the church in the world is to loosen the church's grip on the word. The word. The word of life. If the authority of scripture is diminished in a local church and it drifts from preaching, teaching, reading, studying, cherishing, treasuring God's word, that church is being slowly, perhaps, dimmed into darkness, complete and utter darkness. The more a local church holds fast to the word of life, the brighter it shines, the brighter it becomes, because the word gives life. What does it mean to hold fast to the word of life? Well, if you study that, that Greek word, holding fast... It's used five times in the New Testament, and so when you look at those times and you put it all together, holding fast means to notice the word of life, to fix your attention on the word of life, to stay in the word of life, and to keep a close watch on the word of life. And if you look again at the end of verse 15 and the beginning of verse 16, you'll see that shining as lights in the world is inseparable from holding fast to the word of life. The rest of verse 16 tells us why Paul is stressing this point. Paul's purpose is so that when Christ returns, his gospel ministry would prove effective and meaningful. I, I think Paul's boasting in verse 16, if you look at that, is a kind of boasting that is good. It, it's like boasting in Christ. And if you look close, the center of Paul's boasting is boasting in Christ. If you think about it, if Paul sees the Philippians living blameless, innocent, and unblemished lives as children of God, and they're shining as lights in the world, and they're holding fast to the word of life, he is actually seeing God, God's sovereign grace at work in them, and that is what he is boasting in and rejoicing in. 
It's his gospel ministry. He planted the church in Philippi. He took the gospel there. It took hold of their lives. God transformed them. They started to live in this way. And now he's boasting. He wants them to endure to the end in Christ so that he can boast. Look at what the gospel did through my ministry here in Philippi. So he wants to reach the end. He wants to be satisfied. He wants to boast that God did it through him. He wanted to be proud in his hard and enduring gospel work that it was effective. Here's the last point. Be shining lights by, number five, being a glad person who rejoices in God as you pour out your life in sacrificial service to others. Be happy to give yourself for Christ. The people who shine Christ the brightest are those who selflessly sacrifice themselves for Christ. They suffer and perhaps die for Christ. Look at verses 17 and 18 again. Paul is connecting suffering with joy by using Old Testament imagery of Old Testament sacrifices, animal sacrifices. A drink offering and a sacrificial offering were both Old Testament offerings given to God in worship. They sacrificed a lamb and poured wine out over it so that it all could be offered up in worship as a sacrifice to God. Christ was the ultimate lamb, he was the ultimate sacrifice, and the Philippians offered a sacrifice of faith in Christ, that ultimate sacrifice, and Paul offered himself as a drink offering by pouring himself out upon the faith of the Philippians, offered to God in worship. Paul Paul is talking about utter and complete self-sacrifice in service to Christ, in worship to Christ, and it was a joyful offering. Now... Some scholars look at this and think that Paul is talking about his martyrdom. Other scholars look at this and they think that he's pouring out himself in service to Christ. It's just his ministry, and I'm not sure. You study it. Um, But either way, Paul's suffering and sacrificial service to God are in view in one way or another. Paul was pouring out his entire life in, in service to Christ. You can see that throughout of what, we, what we've studied so far in Philippians. Even in suffering, Paul was joyful. Even in imprisonment, Paul was joyful. The Philippians were joyful in their sufferings in Christ. Paul encourages them to live even more joy in their suffering. The idea here is that great joy is found in pouring, dumping yourself out in worship and service to God. That's what Paul is doing, was doing. It's part of shining as lights in the world. By pouring yourself out in sacrificial service to God, you show that God is your supreme treasure, that God is the joy of your rejoicing, that God is worth it. Our suffering for Christ shows the supreme value of Christ. Nothing shows the supremacy and worth of Christ more than when Christians joyfully suffer and they pour out their lives for the glory of God. Paul used the word sugkairo, which means that he's joyful together with them. It wasn't just his joy. It was the togetherness, the joy that they had in serving Christ together. He was talking about mutual gladness, which is a wonderful thing to build unity. Listen, when you look around you and you see a very, very dark world, there is a way for you to shine. There is. You can shine. Start with your identity in Christ, who God made you to be. 
You are an adopted child of God. And you must know that God is at work in you. He is working in you to will. He is working in you to work. He has not forsaken you. He has not turned his back on you. He is working in you. The good Father, by His Spirit, is working in you, all of the children of God. Start with your identity and then get rid of any trace of grumbling and any trace of disputing in your life and hold fast to the Word of life, the Word of God. And as you do that, you will become more and more what you already are in Christ. As God graciously works in you, you will shine as lights in the world Uh, When God straightens you more and more from the crookedness and twistedness into conformity to Christ. So let me end by saying this. Being a child of God and living a blameless, innocent, and unblemished lifestyle is the way of greatest joy. That's the life, people. That's the good life. There is no long-term joy or rejoicing in a crooked and twisted lifestyle, and Hollywood proves, us, proves that to us every day, and Wall Street proves that to, uh, proves, I can't say it. I just uh, go. You get my point, don't you? All right. And Washington, blah, 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 you fill in the blank. They all show it to us. You just look. They're not happy. In fact, we should have pity. And just say, oh, the pleasure you pursue in the world is so much less than you could have in Christ. And you don't even know it because you can't see the king and what he has done. This line is important. The way to happiness is holiness. And so let me top off the point for this morning like this. Because you are children of God, shine as light in a corrupt and guilty world by living blameless, innocent, and unblemished lives as you hold fast to the word of God. Because as you do all that, you will be most glad in God and rejoice with joy inexpressible. When has grumbling and disputing ever made you happier? When has living a blameworthy life, put the blame on me and I'll be more joyful. Does it work that way? When has being guilty, guilty and riddled with moral blemishes ever enhanced your gladness? Do you shine brightest when you are fooling around with crooked and twisted sin and hiding things and and lurking in the darkness because you're ashamed and you're neglecting God's word? Does that help you be happier? No. No is the honest answer. Your joy is connected to shining brightly because... When you live for Christ and pour yourself out sacrificially for others, you are living unto your greatest joy, which is the glory of God. You are most happy when you live out who you already are in Christ. And that is my challenge to you this morning. You are a child of God, as loved as you will be for eternity. Couldn't be more loved by the Father So become who you already are. Become more and more what God has made you in Christ and you will glorify God and you will be happiest in him. Let's pray. God, your word is so clear 
and helpful. And I pray that your gospel penetrates someone's heart this morning and produces lasting change. I believe there are people here this morning, I don't know everybody and I certainly don't know everyone's heart, that they're not happy. And so they're they're messing around with the crookedness and twistedness of the world and they know deep down this is not doing it for me. And their Christ is the unblemished, innocent, perfect Christ and Son of God shining in all of His glory through Scripture and through creation. He's right there for that person. So God, I pray that you do a work of the Spirit in someone this morning to show them the glories, the infinite glories of Christ that they could be so transformed to become an adopted child of God and to shine brightly by wearing the righteousness of Christ given to them as a robe to cover them because they are pure. And God, for all of the saints, all of the believers, all of the children of God, would your spirit produce in them a greater brightness to shine the glory, the magnificent glory of you, their Father. Throughout the kingdom, throughout the towns, amidst a crooked and twisted generation, God, may your Holy Spirit do it in our people. May Jerusalem church be so bright, it's blinding to people. And they would come into the light and leave the darkness because the darkness is not doing a thing for them except destroying them and their joy. So God, make us bright as your children. Make us holy. We are holy. You have made us holy, but make us holy as we continue to live as your children. You are so good, God. And this is all for your glory. For Christ's sake, amen.